millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome, friends, to another r slash malicious compliance video. We've got some awesome stories of compliance today, including this first one by Dr. Galactose. Get a real calculator? Got it. First off, I don't live in Western countries. There's a point where I talk about a program in my country. I'll translate it in a way that makes it simple to understand, but it probably won't be accurate. This happened more than 10 years ago. I was still in what is equal to a high school in the US. I was about to have a mid-semester math exam. The math teacher, one of the worst math teachers I've ever had, said that since the exam is about solving in equations and second degree polynomial equations, and she didn't care if we do simple math or not since we've been doing that for years already, we can bring our calculator into the exam room. We can't use a calculator on a phone for obvious reason, but otherwise there's no restriction. It does sound too good to be true, especially from this particular teacher, so everyone asks the higher grade students who took her test last year if she's been doing this to the previous year's students as well or not. We found out that she always let her students use calculators, but because she makes the questions stupidly complex for no reason, a lot of people get terrible scores anyway, despite the calculator. Now a little about myself, I have special interest in science since I was a kid. About a year earlier, I joined an astronomy summer camp program. As part of that, I got myself a scientific calculator. It's way overkill for an average high school student. And I wouldn't have really used it to full capacity again until the university, but it made my life in the program a lot easier. It's also shaped perfectly to fit in my pocket, so I've been using it as an everyday calculator to this day. However, the calculator had a built-in equation solver, and since the exam is mostly multiple choice, this meant I could just finish the exam by entering the equation into the calculator and letting it do the job for me. I felt a bit disgusted to bring it into the exam room as a result, so out of respect for the exam, I decided to get myself a cheap, conventional calculator from a convenience store across the school the day before the test. As per regulation, when a student enters the exam room, we have to show our student ID and all of the exam tools to the overseeing teacher prior to entering the room. As luck would have it, my overseeing teacher was that darn math teacher. I showed my student ID, my exam tools, and my conventional calculator as per regulation demanded. The calculation was a cheap model shaped like an ancient cell phone for aesthetic reasons, even had a fake antenna on it that does nothing. I didn't think much of it, but apparently the math teacher took offense in that. Believing I'm challenging the no phone rule, I try to argue that it's just a stupid calculator shaped like a phone to no avail. She ended the argument telling me that I could enter the exam room right then or go back outside to grab a real calculator, but I won't get in with that phone. So I, a bit pissed off at this point, decided to comply. I went back outside, opened my bag, put my calculator pretending to be a phone inside, and brought out my beloved scientific calculator, then walked back in line to prepare to enter the exam room again. Surprisingly, she didn't complain about it at all. 
She made a nice remark about why I didn't bring it in the first place, then let me enter the exam room. I didn't know what was on her mind at that moment, and frankly, I didn't care. Unsurprisingly, I aced that test as a result. Not proud of it, but she asked for it. Be honest, if you had a chance like that in a math class to bring that scientific calculator in that would basically give you all of the answers, you would bring it in, right? Would you feel guilty enough about basically cheating, or would you willingly bring that calculator right in and ace that exam? Let me know in the comments down below. Our next story is by Light Inc. Okay, we won't use the fives. This will be very quick and possibly not very malicious, as my personal trainer is only a tiny bit of a torturer, but overall a great guy. Yesterday was chest and shoulders day with my personal trainer, Saeed, who's very much into pushing me as much as possible when he can. Yesterday was chest and shoulders day with my personal trainer, Saeed, who's very much into pushing me as much as possible when he can. We were doing seated shoulder presses with a barbell, and he knows that it's one of my weaker exercises. So I told him, we're not using the 5 kilogram weights for this. And with that, he saunters off. When he returned, he was holding two sets of 2.5 kilogram plates, which equaled 5 kilograms aside. The man shafted me on a technicality, and now I have trouble lifting my arms. Honestly to me though, it sounds like Saeed is a pretty good personal trainer has a good sense of humor, and is also trying to push you to your limits so you really get that burn in. Just, you know, take it easy with those arms. Our next story is by Jock McFarty. Nothing you can do, just move on. Some background, I used to work in computer operations, then IT support for a bank based somewhere in Scotland. Every year, one or two of us would go down to Sunny Slough to mingle with our counterparts in banking, education, and, uh... Some place where the guys had been told to say they were from Cheltenham Ladies College and definitely not the nearby donut-shaped secret government agency. Anyway, in 1998, we were told one of us could go across the pond to New Orleans for the CA world, where we would see all the latest tech, attend seminars, talk face-to-face with product developers, and get some training courses thrown in as part of the package. And I was to be the lucky candidate from my team. Registered for the early bird discount, decided which courses would benefit me most, booked the transatlantic flights from London via Chicago, again with a discount because CA, computer associates, were actively involved. All good, all signed off. Of course, living in Edinburgh, I still had to get to London somehow, so I found the cheapest connecting flight to Heathrow and put in the booking for approval, along with a couple of guys from other teams, let's call them Biff and Mandy crap manager calls the three of us into his office and says this event counts as training so it's being paid for out of the ring fence training budget except another manager's blown the entire department's annual training budget on hiring contractors for his team so there's no money for your 200 pound return flights to london the whole shebang is therefore cancelled well of course we were all gobsmacked but those are the breaks right Crab manager said there's nothing we can do about it, so we should just move on. A week or two before the event was due to take place, Biff dropped by my desk and asked if there were any CA seminars I'd like him to attend on my behalf. I said, um, excuse me, but what the freak? Biff said, oh, I went over crab manager's head and got my senior manager to reverse his decision. New Orleans, here I come. So I decided that I should indeed move on. I updated my CV slash resume and sent it off to a couple of agencies on the Thursday before Easter. 
Good Friday and Easter Monday were bank holidays, so it wasn't until Tuesday that I got my first phone call asking if I'd like to interview with Sky TV. I turned that one down on principle, but shortly obtained a first, then second interview with a competitor in Glasgow. It would mean moving across the country, but I wasn't fussed about that or even the drop in salary, just looking to get away from crap manager. Anyway, I dropped a few hints to my coworkers that I might not be around there much longer. Lo and behold, one of the senior managers presently called me aside for a wee chat. He said that he felt I was in the wrong grade and would I like to come work for him with a 25% pay raise. Oh, and how would I like to attend CA World 1999? So I escaped from crap manager, avoided having to relocate to Glasgow, and had a great time in the Big Easy with Mandy the following year. Wrote such a glowing report, detailing every seminar and training course, in such positive terms that it was a shoe-in for another guy from my team to attend in 2000. Crap manager, lost a good team member, over 200 pounds. First of all, if you're enjoying stories like this, make sure you hit those like and subscribe buttons down below so you never miss my daily uploads. That said, this story goes to show that awful managers really make or break a workplace. You could have a great job with great benefits, but you have that one bad manager there who's actively trying to take those benefits away or just making the whole situation miserable for people, and the whole operation can just start tanking right then and there. The fact alone that OP was willing to take less money and relocate to an entirely different location just to get away from this crap manager tells you plenty. This next story is by the real John Galt 22 told quantity not quality by boss gave them exactly that i worked at a law firm that handled an extremely high volume of cases i'm talking thousands per month and due to the specific field they were in the work called for a ton of motion practice we had to respond to motions on nearly every case after which the cases would settle and we would be paid relatively small amounts that added up to answer all the motions we would use a bowler plate template input a few specifics via prompts, and send it off. This would take around 15 to 20 minutes. It was a profitable scheme, and to be fair, it worked for that specific field of law. This is highly irregular and would be nearly impossible to effectively mount a counter-argument in any other field of law, which typically requires research and fact-specific rebuttal to very specific challenges to your case. Fast forward, and now the firm's taking on cases in a new field of law, nearly all between 200 to 300,000 per case, or about 100 times what a case in their original field would take. We needed to draft and file complaints on these cases. To achieve this, the partners insisted that our senior attorney would create a template. Our paralegal staff, making $10 an hour, would speak with the client and create an intake cover sheet for each case. And I would be the lucky middleman who got to input the cover sheet data into the template and generate a complaint. For every single case in this new field that the firm was handling. In essence, they thought we could handle this new, complex, different field of law with much higher stakes in much the same way we were handling our normal cases. The intake staff had no clue what they were doing, and the boilerplate template was wildly insufficient to allege the particular facts, which varied so considerably between cases, also why intake had problems. The partners thought it should take about 15 to 20 minutes to generate a complaint with their method, 
but the reality was I actually had to review every file from scratch, figure out what was going on, input the data myself, make massive edits to the complaint, etc. It would take me at least an hour and a half to do a good job, and honestly that's what I did, a good job. As you can imagine, something of a backlog ensued, and the partners wanted to know what the issue was. I explained that due to the nature of the cases, they were requiring specific edits. I offered several recommendations for how we could improve our efficiency, but they didn't want to hear it. I explained that these cases were worth significantly more, and even spending four to five times longer on them than our other cases was still a huge win for them. They wanted the paper out. Quantity over quality, I was told. Leave the decisions to them, do what I'm instructed to do, and play my part on the assembly line. Note that these partners did actually no legal work whatsoever on any cases. They once did long ago, but now just watch cameras all day and complain if you're five minutes late. In a fit of frustration and rage, I maliciously complied. I actually stayed late a few nights and banged out maybe 75 or so complaints that had backlogged. I sent them all to the senior attorney for final review, with no edits whatsoever, wrong data from our intake team, nonsensical legal arguments, fact patterns that were completely untrue, just like I was told. About three workdays later, I got called in for a meeting about what the freak was going on in these complaints, and that the senior attorney was about one third of the way through what I had sent him, and not one of the complaints was suitable to be filed. I told them that I was just doing my job on the assembly line and that the issue must be coming from somewhere else, but definitely not from me, because I did exactly as instructed and mindlessly input the data and sent it along. They told me this was unacceptable and if there was an issue I should have brought it to their attention, to which I replied that I tried and was not listened to. They refused to accept defeat and attempted to change data collection, change the templates, to no avail. It got hostile. No matter what they did, their system just didn't work. And I continued to comply with their insistence I do my job and my job only. It was unbelievable how stubborn these people were. Quit that job and moved on. I've been tracking some of the cases online, and they're getting dismissed on motion. Quantity, not quality, eh? Not how I practice law. I just feel bad for any of the poor schmucks that get stuck with this terrible churning assembly line of hot garbage. Imagine being in a situation where you want some legal help and you get stuck into this money-making scheme that ends up just not even helping. And our final story of the day is by Pigeon Lass. Half days entirely depend on the set lunchtime? Alright then. My friend used to work in finance for a company which generally treated him pretty poorly. He was paid far less than he knew the company could afford and was generally overlooked. They had homeworking for a while because of COVID and then were allowed to come back to the office three days a week, working from home two days. Whilst working from home, my friend loved missing the commute. Being an early riser anyway, he decided to ask his boss if he would be allowed to start work at 7am and finish at 3pm so as to get to and from work quicker and because the office was open at that time anyway. This was okayed and so he started to work 7am to 3pm which he then extended to his work from home days, as he enjoyed having his late afternoons free. Now, so that everyone was available at the same time, lunchtime at the company was set at 1 to 2 p.m. No leeway. One Friday, my friend wanted a half day to begin the start of a long weekend, 
Because he would usually finish work at 3 p.m., he asked if his half day for him could be earlier, around 11 a.m., since he would be putting in much more hours before lunch than anyone else. No, he was told, half day means finishing at lunch. So he had to work from 7 a.m. to 1 p.m., six hours, despite it counting holiday-wise as a half day. This annoyed him for obvious reasons, until he found a great benefit to this. Working from home on Fridays, he started booking mornings off work, meaning he didn't have to start work until 2 p.m. Then he worked for one hour from home, and that was it. His colleagues thought it was genius. His boss had very firmly told him that half days revolve around lunch times, so he couldn't do anything about it. So my friend enjoyed a few months of practically doing no work on several Fridays for the cost of half a day at a time until eventually he left the business and moved on to a job where he was treated a lot better. Is it really common for any company to demand that everybody take their lunch at the same time? I don't know what kind of company this is, but it seems like that would be irrational, like the whole place would just shut down for an hour. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. So of all these stories I've read today, which is your favorite and why? Let me know in the comments down below. And if you haven't yet, if you could like and subscribe, that would mean a lot to me. Whatever you do, whether it's liking, subscribing, turning notifications on, all of it helps grow this channel and I appreciate the heck out of it. So until next time, I'll see you all tomorrow with some more stories. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.